this afternoon is from Luke 6, verses 43 through 45. This is what Holy Scripture says. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon. I want to start uh, today with a survey. Just want to know how many of you believe you're addicted to a screen? Ah, all right. We got even the little ones here raising their hands. Yeah, whether your phone, iPad, computer, TV, uh, many of us have that feeling that we're addicted to a screen. Well, last year there was a groundbreaking study by the National Institute of Health that uh, proved that screen time use in children for however many hours a week actually changes the development of their brains. You guys heard this probably. You're aware of it. Uh, uh, Brain scans showed that the cortex, which is the thin tissue around the brain, actually thins it out more. And that's uh, an outer layer of neural tissue that processes information from your senses, like your smell, sight, hearing, and touch. Fascinating. Now, the study did not say whether that's good or bad. Didn't make any judgments. That wasn't the point. It was just to say, hey, does this have an impact on kids as they develop? And it shows that it does. Now, of course, that brought up all sorts of debate. Well, what do we do? And as parents, maybe you've felt that anxiety right? Uh, I'm not going to let my kids have any screen time, or maybe I'll just limit my kids' screen time, or maybe I don't trust the study. I don't know where you are with that. But for some, they believe it's a real issue, and they want to point the finger, and they want to blame somebody. And one person that takes a lot of the blame, or has taken a lot of the blame over the past couple years, is Nir Eyal. He's an important figure in this debate, because a few years ago, he wrote his first book. It was called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. And basically, this was an industry manual for how to create uh, apps and technology uh, to be addictive, to encourage repetitive behavior. And so a lot of people point to Nier and say, oh, you know, it's guys like this. That's the problem. Now, what's interesting is he just recently has come out with a new book, and it's called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. You see, he's kind of writing, you know, before it was a how-to book, this is a how-to-undo book. He's, his argument is simple, if not controversial. He says technology isn't the problem, or at least it's not at the root cause. So what is the root cause? Well, he argues that we compulsively look at our phones and compulsively try to disassociate from reality because we don't know what to do with our anxious 
souls, our hearts. We don't know, we're bad at being alone, <laughs> is what he says. And it's not the phone's fault. He pushes back at us and asks us to look within and ask, why are we so uncomfortable standing in line that we have to pull out a phone and look at it? You know, even this week, I uh, heard a conversation about a professor talking about how, you know, he, um, he teaches a class on how to make friends, or, you know, it's about friendship, and he walks into the classroom, you know, it's, a, it's the most popular class, and all the, all the students are on their phones <laughs> before class. And, and, you know, if you want to know what the point of the class is, put your phone away and talk to each other. That's how you make friends. Um, but we can't. We're, you know, we're addicted to the phones. And more and more studies are showing the impact of this. And society wants to point the finger at the villains, wants to point the finger at the technology companies, at the app developers, at social media. And uh, Nir Eyal says, stop pointing the finger at everyone else and look maybe within and that's exactly what Jesus challenges us with today in Luke 6. He says, look within. Now, notice with me the simple point that he makes here in verse 43. He says, a good tree produces good fruit. And a bad tree produces bad fruit. You shouldn't expect to gather figs from a thorn bush. Figs are sweet. And tasty fruits. Thorns are nasty, sharp, little prickly things that will draw blood. So if you're near a thorn bush, don't expect to reach out and grab figs. It's not going to happen. You can try to change the environment, the soil, water it more, give it more sunlight. But it's always going to produce thorns. It's never going to produce figs. And so Jesus has given us this agricultural wisdom here. But what is he trying to teach us? What is he trying to say there in verses 43 to 44? He's, he's simply talking about our spiritual condition as human beings. That's what he's saying. The tree, what does the tree stand for? The tree is your heart. The fruit is your behavior. And so Jesus is saying that a good heart will produce good behavior. And a bad heart will produce bad behavior. Now let me make this little qualification. I think Jesus isn't talking about necessarily individual events. I think he's talking about a lifetime here. Over the course of a lifetime. Okay, so we're not going to zero in on one particular incident. We're going to say, <clears throat> this is what you find with a bad heart, bad behavior. And this is what you find with a good heart, good behavior. And he, at the end there, if you notice verse 45, he talks about language and speech as being a very helpful behavioral indicator of what's inside a person. And that's what I love about the course sonship you've heard me share this example before is one of the challenges with uh, sonship it's a kind of a discipleship material <clears throat> you know one lesson <clears throat> they challenge you to 
watch what you say all week. Never say anything negative, hurtful, don't gossip, don't say anything critical for an entire week. And uh, yeah, I've shared this illustration many times. One guy at the end of a course that the director of Sonship was teaching, he always asked at the end of the week if anybody was able to do it. And of course, no one can, except one time this guy raises his hand and said, yeah, I did it. And, and the director was shocked. He said, how did you do it? And he said, well, I just didn't speak all week. <laughs> and that's true. I mean, that's true of us. We can't help. Uh, but for the, <laughs> the stuff inside of us to come out in our speech. Now, notice what Jesus says here in verse 45 about this language of the heart. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Now, it's here that Jesus simplifies our spiritual condition in one of two ways. You're either the good person or you're the evil person. Now, that's an extremely controversial way to view people, especially in our culture today. Many modern, enlightened people, they don't like those categories. They're not going to talk about people in good or evil categories. It's not very helpful. And there's good reason for pushing back against this kind of labeling because that kind of labeling, really, if we're honest, it's been used throughout history to exclude people and to persecute people. And so I think as Christians, we should be the first to stand against that kind of practice of just throwing those labels around, oh, this person's good or this person's evil, and therefore I can treat them poorly or I can persecute them or I can exclude them because they fit in this category. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus is trying to do here. And I will say this, the categories are very helpful, and I think they're very helpful for us to be able to talk about reality. If you don't have the categories of good and evil, I really think you struggle to to see reality as it really is and to talk about reality. We need that kind of language to express our thoughts and our feelings when we see truly horrible things, destructive things, gut-wrenching things every day in the news or maybe even with our friends or maybe that we've experienced. We need these categories to, to, to rightly express and point out what's happening in the world and what's happening to us and what's happening to our our friends. You can't watch the genocide that's happening in Africa or the trafficking happening happening in Southeast Asia or the killing uh, uh, of an innocent African-American man in in the United States. You can't see these things and not say that's evil. You've got to have those categories to be able to rightly See, reality. To, to take those labels away, I think, is denial. It really is. It's denial. So uh, we want to have those categories. It's very helpful for us. But we also want to see it's not just the institutions that are evil, because that's often sometimes what we rely on. We don't want to say individuals are evil, but institutions. But, of course, those institutions are full of people. And they're perpetrated by people. And it would be demoralizing and invalidating and cruel to tell somebody who's experienced these things 
you know, that's not really evil. It's, it's really unfortunate. But we don't want to go there. So we need those categories, I think, and I think it's helpful. Um, and that's what Jesus is teaching us. He's showing us that there are good people and that there are evil people. And in fact, I believe, you know, that the way Jesus is talking about it, if we wrestle with that, we begin to see and understand why it is that we do persecute people and why it is we do exclude people. It helps explain human beings and why we act the way we act. And it isn't the labels that are causing the problems. I'm kind of sounding like Nair here. His point was, remember, it's not the phone's fault. And I might say as well, it's not the label's fault, good and evil. And removing the labels, aren't gonna, it, that's not going to fix the problem. Now, people in our society, if they do use this language of good and evil, they, they often assume that all of us are basically good. That's what you commonly hear. Um, <clears throat> if people do bad things, it's most often the environment, their upbringing, their history, their stories... And oftentimes we see the categories of good and evil being subverted and deconstructed in the stories in uh, film and television. Uh, one example, years ago, the movie Maleficent starring Angelina Jolie. If you know the original uh, Sleeping Beauty, right? Sleeping Beauty was written in a different day, in a different time. And when Sleeping Beauty was written... Maleficent was clearly the villain. Uh, there were clear categories of good and evil. They were simple and clearly delineated. The new movie really seeks to deconstruct that. It really tries to get you to see Malef uh, Maleficent really becomes, by the end of the movie, the hero. When you understand her history, you understand her upbringing, you understand her experiences, and why she's done the things that she's done. And the musical Wicked is very similar. Uh, you have a similar example of with the Wicked Witch of the West. You understand her background, <clears throat> and you understand she's complicated. And you see that, that the evil villain really isn't a villain after all. Now... You see, the assumption is that there's environmental and psychological and relational reasons for why the villain becomes the villain, and it doesn't have anything to do with the person being evil. See, there's a worldview communicated in these stories. And in fact, the entire point is to complicate it. Kenneth uh, Moorfield, is a professor at Campbell University, wrote a review of the movie uh, Maleficent, and had this to say, when we constantly try to rehabilitate the reputation of villains, we're moving responsibility for evil away from the individual who does the evil and onto the institutional environmental factors we think made the human monsters who or what they are. Now, let's try to explain this in Jesus' words. You know, today many people assume all people are good trees. See, that's what most people think. That's the assumption. And, and if a person produces bad fruit, it's not because they're a bad tree. There must be some side, outside explanation. 
Now that uh, individual may have come from a broken home, that individual may have lacked education, access to resources, friends who are a bad influence. And so today, if we see bad behavior, we don't assume that's a bad person, there must be some other explanation. That's, that's the story, that's the worldview that we breathe today. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky, doesn't it? Life is complicated, people are complicated. Stories are complicated, and there's lots of reasons that we do what we do. And our upbringing and our relationships and our education, our resources, those are important things to understand and see the influence they have on us. And it's really helpful to take time to understand those things. And a person's story, understanding them, you know, it impacts us. It it does influence us, doesn't it? All of us in this room. But when it comes to our spiritual condition, the question is whether those things have caused the spiritual condition to be what it is, or if those influences have simply encouraged what was already there. And that's a big difference. You see, when it comes to our spiritual life, what Jesus is trying to argue here is that the heart is the root cause of our problems. Let's look again. What does he say? The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. So let's first ask, what's the heart? Now, when Jesus describes the heart, he isn't thinking of that organ in, you know, it's about right here. It's, you know, people say you take your fist, that's your size of your heart. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? Uh, in the Bible, the heart is your inner life. It kind of encompasses everything that isn't the physical aspects of you it could be your thinking it can be your will it can be your choices and desires it can be your affections the things that you love it can be all those things it's all encompassing the heart and so when we sing songs today and we write poetry and we talk about the heart in in our culture we tend to focus on the emotions And from the Bible's perspective, the emotions are part of it, but it's not limited to the emotions. It also involves all those other things. So so the heart is kind of your basic orientation. It's, It's your deepest commitments. It's the thing or things in your life that you've given your trust to. You've given your heart to. It's what you love and hope in. It's what you treasure, which is so fascinating that Jesus uses that language of treasure when he talks about the good and evil heart, because that's really at the core what he's talking about. What is it that you treasure most? That's where your heart is. And so every heart, every human heart, the Bible tells us, is inclined in a certain direction. All of you are inclined towards a certain direction. And what the Bible says is you're either inclined to lean towards God or away from God. Towards God or away from God. <clears throat> and here, here's the good news that the Bible tells us. And I'm, gonna, that's, I'm trying to make this argument that it's good news. 
that the Bible claims that all of us, all of us, each, everyone in here leans away from God. Your heart is inclined away from God, naturally. That you're born with that instinctual allergic reaction to God. You ever been allergic to something? You just, you know, you don't want to be near it. That's our natural disposition. Paul says in Romans 3, he puts it pretty strongly, doesn't he? You guys are familiar with this passage. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That sounds pretty evil. So when we begin to read about the heart, I mean, there's lots of verses we could look at. We're not going to look at all of them. We need to see and understand that the good heart, the good tree, loves God first. God is first. That heart wants God, wants God more. Puts God first as a priority. But the Bible makes this claim that all of us in and of ourselves, left to our own devices, none of us want God. Our hearts lean in the other direction. Dare we say, our hearts are evil. Now, again, people want to argue, no one's evil, everyone's good, but I'm arguing, I think Jesus is arguing, no, no one's good. Everyone in our natural state, we're all bad trees. C.S. Lewis put it this way, fallen man, which is basically our natural state, that's who he's talking about. He says, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He's a rebel who must lay down his arms. We're all born into the state of being rebels against God. And so, I believe that's good news. I believe that helps all of the I think very good criticism people make about these categories of good and evil. I think the best argument against it to either do away with the categories or to deconstruct the categories is to follow what the Bible says and to admit humbly, you know what, we're all evil in and of ourselves. Because what happens when you do that? It all puts us on a level playing field. No one can stand and look down on anyone else. All of us just have to admit, you know what? I'm no better than this other person. Evil's in my heart too. And so no longer am I going to go and persecute someone or exclude someone. I'm, I'm going to see that I'm, I'm on the same path as everyone else. You see, we don't have to do away with the categories we don't have to deconstruct the categories. We simply have to see what the Bible is teaching us. And the problem, a lot of Christians throughout the centuries have not read their Bibles, or at least seen what the Bible is teaching us. And so what happens is we get confused in this idea, do I sin because I'm a sinner, or am I a sinner because I sin? Do I sin because I'm a sinner, 
Or am I a sinner because I sin? See, what would Jesus' answer be? I, I, I would argue, Jesus would say, maybe both, but I think primarily he would say, no, I sin because I'm a sinner. Speaking to me, J- Jason, yeah, I sin because I'm a sinner. I sin because at my core, my heart is broken. There's something wrong with it. My outward circumstances and environment, all that stuff may influence that, may bring that out, but it's there already because it's part of who I am. And what happens as Christians is we, we tend to forget that, and so we focus on behavior, which is part of what Jesus is talking about here, right? Behavior is important. Behavior is a sign of what's going on inside of you. But what happens as Christians is we forget about the inside part and we simply focus on the behavior. Um, I read this this illustration uh, online. I can't remember the woman's name, but I I thought it was helpful. She 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 wrote this. She said, "Imagine with me you're you're walking on. You see a field. You see two apple trees." Um, you look at a distance, and they both look like they're heavy laden with apples. And they look like strong, healthy apple trees. But as you walk closer up, get closer to these trees, there's something odd about one of them. You look at the one, it looks like a healthy apple tree. The other one, you notice someone has tied apples to the branches. Only tied apples to the branches. Now, what would you think if you saw that? Well, one, you would think someone has too much time on their hands. (laughs) Uh, But you would also think that is a dead tree. That's a bad apple tree. And someone's trying to dress it up and make it look better than it really is. And you know what? The church is full of people like that, isn't it? Trying to dress themselves up. Trying to make themselves look better. And just as, you know, you would say to the person who tied those apples to that tree, that is a futile day's work. What is the point of that? Friends, if you're that person trying to dress yourself up, by focusing on your behavior, trying to act like a good Christian, let me save you some time. That is a waste of your effort. Jesus is telling you today, stop. It's futile. Behavior does matter. That's part of what Jesus is telling us. Behavior is important. Behavior tells us something very important about what's inside. But behavior is important to reveal what's going on inside of you. And behavior on the outside is not going to change what's going on in the inside. Here's what behavioral change on the outside will do. One of two things. If you commit yourself to changing, becoming a good Christian, and doing the things Christians should do, it will result in one of two things. It will either result in self-righteousness, 
Because if you're successful, then you'll be able to look around at everybody else and say, well, why can't you all get your act together? I did. Or, when you fail, it'll lead you to despair. And you just beat yourself up because you continue to fail and you can't break the cycle. And so focus on behavioral change will only do one of those two things. But here is, I think, the key to what we're talking about. Uh, Tim Keller, I think he has a good quote here. He, he says this, You can't change merely by changing your thinking or through great acts of will, but rather by changing what you love most. Change happens not only by giving your mind new truths, though it does involve that, but also by feeding the imagination new beauties. So you love Jesus supremely. We change when we change what we worship the most. How do we do that? And so what we want is change on the inside. We want the heart to change. And, hey, can I tell you there's good news? That's exactly what the Bible's about. The prophets in the Old Testament talk about it all the time. Uh, they talk about things like God writing his law on your heart. Uh, the prophets talked about you know, having your heart circumcised. What they're talking about there is a heart change. They're talking about a spiritual change. Jesus, when talking to Nicodemus, used the language of new birth. Jeremiah 31, 31 talked about God writing his law on their hearts. He would be their God. They would be his people. You see all this language in the, in the Bible about heart change. And that's what Jesus is trying to, do, trying to do by getting us to see our condition. He's trying to drive us to him. The one we have to abide in. If you're familiar with John's gospel in chapter 15, he talks about the vine and the branches. He talks about the Christian life is abiding in him, the vine. And that when you abide in him, trust in him, your relationship is secure in him, you produce good fruit. So the reason why it's important for us to see that in and of ourselves we are evil it's to drive us in desperation to the one who can change it. Jesus wants you to fall on your knees and say, change me, because I can't do it myself. You see why that's important? That's what Jesus is pushing us towards. And so to close this, this morning, I'm going to do something that I never do. And what I want is I want to ask us to have a moment to stop, to close our eyes, and I'm going to ask, if you are here today, and you want God to change your heart, you may be a Christian already, but you see within you a heart that is shriveled or dry or longing for God, or maybe you're not a Christian today, and you've longed to become a Christian, Where, wherever you are on the spectrum, I'm going to ask us to close our eyes, and I'm going to ask you, if you want that, to raise your hand. I never do this. If you're new, trust me, I never do this. Ask somebody who's been here for a while. But 
I, I just felt before coming over here from, from the office, this desire to pray for you. This is me being a pastor. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and raise your hand. If you are longing for God to change your heart, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. I'm going to pray. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you see these hands. You see these hearts. Jesus, these are people that are desperate. They're your people. These are people that have been broken. Who are tired of trying to fix themselves. Jesus, we know you see them. I know you love them. And I pray with all my heart. Would you answer their prayer? Holy Spirit, would you invade their lives? Would you transform them? Would you give them seeds of hope? Would you renew their faith and belief that you are God who brings dead things to life? We believe that's true. And so we pray, Jesus, in your name, amen.